So from, from where we found him at the edge of the forest, we saw the buildings, we ran, we found the buildings, we got a couple of guys, we brought them back. One of them started immediately to do CPR. The other one gathered the 10 of us because it was 17 kids. There was 10 of us left, gathered us and said, okay, we're going to go back. And so we walked us out of the forest. Hi, this is Shlomo Solson, the host of the Teenage Impact Podcast, where we share stories, tips, and specific strategies on how you as a teenage kid can overcome adversity in your life so you can make an impact. Before I continue with this podcast episode, if you haven't done so already, click on the link in the description. It's called the 52 Tips I Wish Someone Told Me in High School. These are topics relating to mental health, career, school, relationships, finances. So go ahead. It's a free guide. It should take about 30 minutes to read, only 20 pages, and can literally inspire you and give you valuable tips to change your life. If you have a friend, if you have a classmate that's in this funk, they can't seem to get out of it, share the Teenage Impact Podcast with them because I interview people from all around the world with different types of struggles from depression, suicide, anxiety, bipolar, eating disorders, all types of struggles. And we share stories and tips on how they overcame it. So if you have a friend, a classmate, or a family member who's in the funk, share the Teenage Impact Podcast with them. Today's podcast guest is Ari Gunsberg. Ari is an entrepreneur, a speaker, and the host of the podcast show, Way to Greatness. At 10 years old, he witnessed something traumatic. A rabbi who took the class to a hiking trip died during the hiking trip. That was not only a traumatic experience for him, but many of his classmates. That rabbi was not only a mentor to him, but many in the entire community. Instead of dealing with the trauma head on, he spiraled off into the wrong path, hanging out with the wrong crowd, getting into drugs, going to jail several times. Eventually, he turned his life around, became a successful entrepreneur, inspiring many people around the country and even around the world. Give it up for Ari Gunsberg as we talk about how to overcome certain traumas in your life. He, be- he doesn't believe that he has all the answers and he doesn't believe that his answer is applicable for everyone, but he wants to share with you his story and how he overcame that traumatic experience in his life and how he's still dealing with that traumatic experience. So give it up for Ari Gunsberg. I have my friend Ari on the other line. Ari, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well. How are you doing, Shlomo? Good, good. He's tuning in from Maryland and... Uh, Ari, you, you explained that there was a death of a rabbi at the age of 10 years old. It was a catalyst for many things to come in your teen years. So can you just explain what happened? Yes. Uh, when I was 10 years old, we went on a field trip. Mm-hmm. So imagine like a rabbi figure, you know, black pants, white shirt, long beard, glasses. And he takes us out on this field trip. We start playing baseball. Then we go for a hike in the forest. Nobody ever had any idea just how traumatic that hike would actually be. So we start walking around in the forest and he's telling us about the trees and about the animals and the bugs and whatever, you know, like just telling us about all these aspects to the forest that, that, that show God's hand in the world, if that's how you want to look at it. And after some time, we start to spread out, you know, because, you know, we didn't all want to sit there and we wanted to like explore and see what's going on. So we, you know, as long as we stayed on the trail, we were okay. So we started to spread out and a bunch of us ended up up ahead playing in a stream. A little while after we started playing in the stream, some kids 
surface from the woods behind us and they, they look down at us and they're like, guys, guys, you got to come quick. Rebby's hurt. Rebby's hurt. We are like, there's no way they're telling the truth. They've got to be joking. So we, we completely ignore them <laughs> and just let, kept on playing the stream. They continued like yelling at us. And so we started to get clued in based on the fact that they continued to yell. And also that we started to like hear like a little bit of fear in their voice. Something's actually not right here. So we stood up and we ran back with them back to what's going on. And, and we got to this scene that was almost a little bit surreal, right? I mean, you've got the, the leaves on the ground, the trees standing around, the, the, the light filtering in through the trees. So it's all a little bit green and sunlight. And there's kids. I mean, everybody's basically in shock. We're all 10 years old. Their kids just standing around. Some of the kids are sitting down and, and a rabbi is just laying there on the ground right? Red in the face, purple in the face. I don't know exactly. Just laying on the ground, totally comatose, not moving at all. One kid's totally and completely freaking out. He's yelling at him. He's like, Rebbe, get up. What are you doing? You can't be, stop joking. It's not funny anymore. Get up. And we're like, what do we do now? You know, we're like 10 years old. There's no, there's no you hear stories about kids who uh, know what to do, but you know nobody really knows what to do until it happens. Uh, anyways, we, we decide to go for help. And so I and two kids go one direction, and then seven kids are like, oh, if you're going for help, we're going to go for help also. They start going in a different direction. We're trying to explain to them, no, this is the direction. Like, oh, this is the way out. We fight. Not like fight, fight. And then we, uh, we start walking out. And we're trying to figure out how to get out. And it's like really hot. And we're talking with each other. We're like, maybe he fell over because of the heat. We don't know. So we, we would like run and then stop and wait and then run and then stop and then wait. We have to cool down. It was just very stressful, very, very intense. And, and we didn't really know exactly how to get out of the forest. We didn't really know the way out. Eventually, we started to hear some like noise off in the distance. We started to figure out after, as we got closer to it, that it was actually music and it, we, we started to think maybe it was a carnival we're like oh, what's a carnival doing in the middle of the week like in the middle of nowhere by the forest who knows but if there's a carnival there's people there and we have to we should go find them because the people should be able to help we started following the music and we get to the edge of the forest and it's not a carnival it's in fact only one man who's standing there wearing a kilt and playing the bagpipes totally totally random no idea what he was doing there I, the only answer that i have is that god sat there and said okay today you're going to go practice the bagpipes in this location because these kids need to find their way out of the forest maybe you went there every tuesday i don't know, you know? <laughs> we went so from from where we found him at the edge of the forest we saw the buildings we ran we found the buildings we got a couple of guys we brought them back one of them started immediately to do cpr the other one gathered the 10 of us because there's 17 kids there was 10 of us left gathered us and said okay we're gonna go back and so we walked us out of the forest uh they called the school the school came to deal with it and they kind of just told us to stand off to the side the other seven kids got out of the forest eventually so now it's all 17 of us they won't tell us anything they won't barely won't they'll, they'll barely even look at us you know eventually I guess they figured out what they had to do. They figured out the, the logistics of the situation. I mean, it wasn't an easy situation to go through. Uh, one of our teacher from the year before gathered us up, had us climb into the van that they had and uh, drove us home one by one, but he wouldn't tell us a thing. He wouldn't even talk to us. I'm saying wow. 
stone cold. And I'm saying stone cold, but I don't actually mean that he was stone cold because I don't think he was sitting there and being like, I'm going to be completely emotionless. I think he was in shock also. Do you know what I mean? Like he was also going through a really big, hard time. I mean, his colleague of 20, 25 years or something, you know, just that's it. He's gone. So he was, he was going through a really tough, we were all, you know, and, but he wouldn't, he just, I don't know. He, you know, what do you say to 17 kids sitting in the back of a van? You know, you can't tell them that stuff, I guess. Maybe you do. I don't know. Uh, but he drove us home one by one and, Later that day, my dad came home and he's like, so wait, what happened? Like you came home early from your field trip. I don't understand. So he picked up the phone and he calls into the school to like figure out what's going on. And he's like talking to him for a little bit. And, and like, I'm like watching him, like trying to find out, you know, okay, hospital, this, what? And then you could see his face drop and, you know, his, his, his diction like slowed down and got quieter and, you know, oh, oh, I see. You know, he just like looks up at me and he's like, he's he's gone you know and like i mean it like it hit me like a ton of bricks like just slammed into me and everything like i just i fell apart and and i mean like my dad i think fell apart a little bit also i'm saying we just stood in the like in the hallway in the foyer you know in the house somewhere just like in the middle of nowhere like just crying for like a really really long time uh you know like my dad knew him my dad had dealings with him and stuff you know like we're just it was just and the hard thing is, is like, it was the type of thing where like, it was hitting all over town, like house by house by house, like every single person, I don't know exactly what they went through. I wasn't there, but I'm saying like every single person that had dealings with this man. And there were a lot, um, just crushing defeat. I, you know, it was just crushing. I'm saying, I, I don't know how else to put it. Um, you know, I was, I was on a podcast interview just a little bit ago and I was, you know, I, I had this like epiphany that, you know, so I, I developed this thing and I, I don't, it doesn't, I don't think we're getting so too deep into that today, but I developed this, you know, five keys to greatness concept. And I, and I recognize that perhaps part of the reason why I created this five keys to greatness is because of all of the amazing things that he had done with his life. And I mean, you know, there's books filled with just story after story after story of ways that he was instrumental in helping people with tough times that they were going through, not tough times they were going through, just helping, you know, uh, you know, just the car breaks down, somebody needs a place to stay, somebody that's like anything, like he was just there and on top of it and stuff. And so, and so, you know, if, if, if we can all emulate some aspect of him and, and, you know, bring a little bit of the greatness that he exhibited into our own lives and everything and use these five keys to do so, you know, maybe it'll be, uh, maybe it'll be, uh, maybe it'll work really well, but I, I don't know that I ever really got over that ever uh you know certainly i'm much better now than i was but you know this i mean it's it's been a long slow road to like really truly heal this this rabbi was obviously a, a great mentor to you and the other kids as yeah i mean as as much as i mean we were 10 so like how much do we fully truly remember but yeah i mean yeah. it's it was he he was a he was a he was very good at connecting you know like uh-huh. uh um I mean, he had, he had been a teacher for, for many, many years at that point. And the craziest thing, the craziest thing is that he was an eighth grade teacher. He taught eighth grade. That's, that's the grade that he taught. Wow. He was instrumental in helping kids go from being in middle school, finding the right high school that they would be most successful in and getting them placed there. That was his thing. 
And for some unknown reason, the school that year said, we are going to move you from being an eighth grade teacher, which you've been doing a phenomenal job at. And you're going to be teaching fourth grade this year. Mm-hmm. Like, and so obviously like when you lose anyone, because I remember losing a lot of my good best friends in college, you know, it's not easy losing a loved ones, especially at a young age, you know, you're 10 years old. How do you comprehend a loss of a loved one? How, how was this a catalyst catalyst to a lot of the different struggles in your life in the next five to 10 years? I think because I never had fully dealt with it, that when I started doing all the things that I was doing and started trying to fit in with all the people that I was fitting in with and, you know, part of my attempts to fit in with the other, with the, with the quote unquote cool kids and whatnot was, was rooted both in the kids that I had grown up with in this other school that made my life a little bit difficult. And also I think rooted in this whole, in this whole thing happening and stuff. And, and I think it's a catalyst because it, it puts you into the place where you're looking to fill a gap. You're looking to fill a hole. Everything you're trying to doesn't fill that hole. And so you continue looking, you continue looking for something else. Will this fill the hole? Will this fill the hole? And it's not, it's not like you have that, that clarity that you're like, okay, I've got this gaping hole and I don't know how to fill it. And so let me try something else. It's like a deep down hurt that you don't even know about. Right. What were some of the things that you did to fill the hole? I went after the cool kids, fit in, tried to fit in with the cool kids. I uh, that led to drinking and drugs and and um, and stuff like that. And from there, it led to. It's not always, but it's commonly not so very far from doing drugs before you're doing stupid things. Whether it's just getting caught with the drugs mm-hmm. or other things, that all of a sudden the police have a reason to throw you in jail, and so then they do, and then you know. It is what it is. Sometimes, unfortunately, the people who get thrown in jail, you know, a judge decides to throw the book at them or they were really caught doing something really bad and like it's hard to turn the other way and sometimes it's not. Uh, I'm lucky in the sense that every single time that something happened between with me and jail, I was, it was never permanent. But, you know, other people are not that lucky and they end up spending a lot of time inside and I don't know. It's, it's, I have this, it's another dichotomy that I have. Like, you know, I'm, I'm full of contradictions, I think, but in China, they started this, uh, this social credit system, you know, where, where somebody doesn't pay a bill on time. It hurts their social credit. Somebody sits there and, and, you know, is mean to a waiter. It might hurt their social credit. Then they sit there and they say, I want to travel and go take a vacation. They're like, sorry, you're not allowed to get on a plane because your social credit standing is too low. Mm-hmm. So also like, you know, kids will be teenagers and they do stupid things. And, and, you know, a lot of times, right, it's part of growing up is that we do some of these stupid things and are able to move past them. And sometimes when you have a judge throw a book at somebody for something that maybe could, maybe could be considered minor, it never gives that kid the chance to grow up and move past that item, move past Absolutely. that thing that happened. And then, so, so like I'm, I'm a big proponent of, you know, Sometimes you, you do have to sit there and give the kid the slap on the wrist and like help him straighten out, help her straighten out. On the other hand, right, this is what I was saying, I'm, I'm a walking contradiction sometimes. On the other hand, right, there are some things out there that, that like cross that line and you're like, you can't do that. You can't sit there and say, okay, no problem. We're just going to give you a slap on the wrist and let you back out on the street because they're, they're, they cross the line. 
I don't, I don't know how to put it. I'm saying, you know, and where is that line? You know, every single, you can ask 10 people, you get 10 different answers. You know, I mean, if, if you're a prosecuting attorney, if you're a judge, uh, you know, what I would say is that there's tons and tons and tons of people out there, of kids out there that you might be working with that have a huge opportunity for a, a tremendous life, whether you're helping people, where they're doing good things, where they're, where they're able to change. If you could just give them that chance and give them that guidance, but then again, also, it, it, it takes that clarity of mind on the prosecuting attorney. It takes that clarity of mind on the judge to recognize that, you know, this is, this is, these are people that if we, if we, instead of throwing them away, right, locking them up, if we help them, they can be the big change makers in the world in the, in the, next, in the next 10, 20, 30 years. And find the reason why they ended up in that situation in the first place. Because, you know, you're trying to find your reason after the death of a mentor and so you kind of went down the wrong path, maybe found the wrong group of friends, started doing drugs, and then ended up in jail. What were some of the lessons throughout the whole process that you learned? A big one that's very applicable, especially to teenagers, but it's applicable to everybody. If you're ever in a position, ever, in your entire life, I don't care how old you are, and you know, you're thinking about doing something, you're with friends and you're talking about doing something or whatever. And you get this, like this gnawing in your gut, you know, like that, that, that squelching in your gut where you're like, I don't know if this is the right thing to be doing. You know, I don't know if this is a good idea, stuff like that. That's your body telling you don't do it. It can be hard and there might be some peer pressure involved and it might be telling, you know, telling people no, but, but you gotta say no. There are at least a couple times in my life, had I listened to that, I wouldn't have gotten to gone to jail again, right? I'm one of the lucky ones in the sense that that stuff happened and I walked away from it. It doesn't always happen like that. You know, there's a story Les Brown tells about some kids he grew up with where he was walking down the street with one of his friends and some kids came up and they said, we need you. They asked Les, they're like, we need you to drive the getaway car. We're going to go do a robbery and everything. He's like, no way. There is no way. They're like, what's wrong? You chicken? He's like, call me whatever you want. I don't care. I, you know, call me whatever you want. I don't care. I'm not getting in that car and driving. And his friend, the words got to him. They got deep inside of his heart, deep inside of his mind. And they burked him and they bothered him. He's like, I ain't no chicken. It went back and forth. He's like, okay, I'm going to drive the getaway car. He gets into the car. They go, they do the library. They they go to the library. They go, they do the robbery. And the store owner comes out with a shotgun. Wow. Sets it off. The friend who was like, wanted to prove that he wasn't a chicken, that's it. His life was over. Wow. I was busted off. Usually, almost always, when, you know, I mean, you, you, you may get some of the same fear when you're going and doing something good. You know, you're going to get married, uh, going to propose, going to ask somebody out, going to whatever it is. You know, you're going to have that same nervous feeling and everything. But if it's something that you're not sure you're supposed to be doing and you're getting that same feeling and it's like there, and you're like, ah, don't do it. Walk away, live to fight another day, you know, live to sit there and, and, and get past that moment. Uh, you know, that's, that's one thing. The other, the other also is, um, and this is much harder, you know, cause that one, there's a, there's an actual feeling when it comes in and when that feeling comes in, it's a message and the message is usually walk away. The other one is if you can, you know, see if you can explore within yourself. And sometimes it'll, it may mean doing it with a therapist or somebody or a friend or a mentor or a coach or somebody. But see if you can explore within yourself what the root cause is. Because 
sometimes there is a root cause. And if you can find the root cause and, and, and figure out a healthy way to deal with it and figure out healthy outlets and figure out things that you can do, you know, there's, I missed out on a huge portion of my life of stuff that I love to do because of all these other things, you know, like what should I have done at 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 is I should have been sitting there at like, I don't know why, nobody pushed me to go do this. I should have like gotten a backpack, like gotten lost in the Appalachian trail. I don't mean like lost, lost, but like, Mm -hmm. you know, gone and like hung out on the Appalachian trail for like months at a time, gone and hung out. Like there's so many healthy outlets of things that I could have done. I didn't. Right. So I'm saying, so if, if you go and you explore and you figure out what the root cause is, or if you use these healthy outlets to help yourself discover what that root cause is, uh, it can save you a lot of heartache and a lot of frustration. Why go through it? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's crazy that you say that you should deal with it by going and finding that root cause. You mentioned to me that you, would, you went through depression at 13, you were given pills. Is that correct? Yeah. And you said you weren't a big fan of it. Why is that? <laughs> I don't really know. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was it about the pills that I didn't like? I don't know. Pills help tons and tons and tons of people. Uh, sometimes talking helps people. There's there's yoga. There's meditation. There's there's uh, there are many 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 different coping strategies that can help people move past these things. One of the biggest and most important in my life is being active, right? And I, it's not to say that I'm always active, but but being physically active is one of the best defenses against things like depression and stuff you know the more that you can my, my acupuncturist always would tell me like the more that you can connect with your body right because we get to be very cerebral nowadays especially with social media because most of our activity is the hand scrolling through the phone and the eyes looking at the content and that's it there's nothing else right it's just content brain content brain right or like you know doing a lot of reading doing watching a lot of movies stuff like that it's very cerebral right we're not as connected to our bodies as we used to be. Get out, go rollerblading, go hiking, go walking, go running, go play football, go play baseball, go play lacrosse, soccer, field hockey, uh, jump rope. Like, I don't care. Go do something with your body and stop being in your own mind and be around people who can help you through the stuff that you're going through and it'll get better. Seek professional help when it's necessary, you know, and, and, and sometimes it's, it's hard to know when it's necessary, but, but there's, there's tons and tons of, of resources out there online nowadays. You know, if you don't want to go into an office and everything, they have apps online. You can sit there and find professional help via app. I'm saying like, there's tons of stuff out there. There are support groups, there's chat groups, there's people, there, there's a ton of things out there. We are no longer in the day and age where somebody can turn around and say, I just wasn't able to get help. Mm-hmm unless they're refusing to move past it. And if you're refusing to move past it, you, you know, they, there's an old saying, you can lead, lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Absolutely, yeah. You have to want something, at, even if it's only a little bit, you have to want it in order for it to be able to work, right? Mm-hmm. You get out of it what you put into it, and that's with everything in life. It's just, I've seen it with so many different things, right? The more that I put of myself into something, the more that I get out of it the more disengaged and the less that I put into it, the less I get out of it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you could see it clearly when you're talking to audiences, when you're talking to people. If you're there, if you're focused, if you're present, if you're part of it and you're like giving yourself over to them, they're giving themselves right back at you. And if you're not, you've got nothing, you know? 
And, you know, you know all this now after you've been working on yourself for many, 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 many years. So uh, what was that turning point from you ending up in jail, doing drugs, um, hanging out with the wrong people to your journey of personal development? I don't know that there's any one particular moment. I mean, I, I have a moment in my, I have a, a period in my life that I feel like was the turning point, even though I did end up in jail one more time after that turning point. I, I don't really even know like how to explain, <laughs> I don't even really know yeah. how to explain that. Uh, I mean, that was just a matter of, um, I was at a bar with some people and I think that somebody may have slipped something to my drink or something. I'm not exactly sure, whatever. I, you know, the, the, the police took me in because I had a giant gash in the back of my head. I, would, I was belligerent and I wouldn't listen to them. So they were like, we need to get this guy to the hospital. So they cuffed me and brought me to the hospital. And then they ended up, you know, they ended up, I think, arresting me, whatever. I was saying, like, I spoke to them afterwards. Like, we, we, we worked the whole thing out. Like, and it went through court a little bit, but it didn't go anywhere. And, you know, I mean, they may have saved my life. I'm saying there were six, sta- I needed six staples in the back of my head. You know, like, it wasn't so simple. But in when I was 19 or so, I moved into a house with a bunch of much older Israelis. And um, not like any Israelis, but like Yemenite Israelis. So like they're, you know, in Israeli, I don't know exactly how to describe it, but they're like even more Middle Eastern than like a typical Israeli and stuff. You know, like they're like, they're so Middle Eastern, their religion, theology and culture has nothing to do with Arabs, but like they're so Middle Eastern, they're almost Arabs. You know, like they're like super, super Middle East, whatever. So, but they all, they were, they were all in their 30s, in their early 30s, and they were all in much healthier spaces in their life, no matter what they had gone through when they were younger. And I think they, they went through some stuff when they were younger. You know, they all went through the army. They all went through this. They all went through stuff, right, as we all do. Uh, but they, they had moved past it by a decade, whereas I was still somewhat in the thick of it a little bit. And they, without doing anything, without specifically giving me specific advice, just by literally just by being there and just by being like an older role model and like being normal about certain things and being, you know, just tons of stuff, like living in that house with them for that year changed my life. It didn't, it didn't launch me on a path towards self-development at all, I don't think. Uh, that came later. You know, with entrepreneurship, you start to read books about entrepreneurship and a lot of them delve into self-development and, you know, that, that's how that stuff started to come through. But that's, for me, that, that, that living in that house with them has always been that pivotal moment that I can like look at the before. And, and again, right, there was still maybe some like smoking, like, you know, some drugs, whatever afterwards and stuff like this. But like the pivotal moment of from like unhealthy, uh, you know, certain obsessions, not like OCD, but like certain obsessions that were like unhealthy and like certain acts, actions and certain ways of looking at the world and stuff that over the course of that whole year living with them, dissipated like it just it just they were just so normal about certain things that that is not necessarily normal to be normal about in america that like it just dissipated and like it faded away over the course of the year and everything and and yeah i mean i've i've always appreciated them for that i don't know if it's it's hard to express that to them because most of them i'm you know i haven't seen them they don't they don't speak english some of them you know whatever uh-huh. and i don't speak hebrew I tried to see one of the guys that was just in Israel a, a month or two ago. I tried to see one of the guys. I kept on texting him and texting and texting him and he just flaked on me. But, you know, I mean, I would have seen him for like three seconds. He would have said, you know, a few words in Hebrew. I would have said a few words in English. We wouldn't have been able to talk. We would have hugged and that would, you know, whatever. whatever. I don't know. He, um, it's been, I mean, it's also been 15 years, you know, so it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's hard. 
That's great. And uh, at what age was this? Uh, 19 to 20. 19 to 20. I, I didn't ask you this, but when, when your rabbi died um, at 10 years old, before you got into the drugs and the wrong group of friends, how were you dealing with this trauma? I don't think I was. You don't think you were? You were trying so, to ignore it? I was just talking to a friend of mine's dad about this, one of the guys that was in the class with me at the time. And the school brought in a counselor and they gave us like one or two group sessions right after it happened. It wasn't enough and it wasn't done. You know, I don't know if the guy was qualified or not. He may have been, he may not have been. I'm not making a judgment on that, but taking 17 of us and expecting us to heal with one or two sessions in a group, I don't think it was enough. And then there were a number of things that happened. I mean, saying, uh, you know, the next year the school gave us a brand new teacher. The year after that, they gave us a brand new teacher. And so, you know, for anybody who's had a brand new teacher versus a a very experienced one, right? I don't care if it's a very gruff teacher, a very not gruff teacher, a mean, I don't know, mean, I'm not, I don't want to, a mean teacher is a mean teacher. It's not healthy no matter what, but like there's very strict and there's not very strict, whatever. A teacher who's been teaching for 20 years is just, there's a different vibe from them because they're so confident Mm -hmm. up there at the top of the classroom. They know what's going on. Like when you, when you really put them to the test, you know, and like here we are, like we're 17 kids who like are going to put anybody you put in front of us to the worst tests in their entire life. And they put somebody fresh, fresh, fresh who had never taught before in front of us. And it was, it was not great. Now both of these people are great teachers. But this is, you know, 25 years later. But, you know, back then they were fresh, completely fresh. They never taught before. So it was, it was very difficult that. And then in seventh grade, there was a, all sorts of problems with the teacher. And like that, you know, I've spoken to people about that later. And they're like, I don't want to talk about, it. you know, like it was just, it was just bad situation after bad situation. I left the school in seventh grade. And after I left, they threatened to expel me. I said, good riddance. I'm done. I'm out of here. Like I left. You can expel me all you want. And officially they did, but like I'd already left. So to me, it was meaningless. And how was your parents dealing with all this while you were into drugs, going to jail? Good question. I mean, it's, there was talking the span of a lot of years. So as with any problem child, I guess you could say, uh, there, there were, a, I'm trying to think of how to put this. Probably the best way to put it is there were wins, there were losses. There were, you know, things that they did really well, things that they didn't do so well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're all, we're all struggling. We're all trying to figure it out step by step. You know, I don't know. I mean, I had my altercations with them, you know, there, there were certainly fights back and forth. There were times when I left, there were times when they kicked me out, you know, um, and, you know, to clarify and everything, like when I say like drugs and stuff, like, you know, so, I mean, so like I have friends who are no longer with us because they OD'd on hard drugs and stuff. Mm-hmm. I never really made that jump into that. I was like always on in a different spectrum of everything. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason I bring that up is that it wasn't like, you know, like if you imagine in your head, like, you know, a heroin addict who sits there and comes home, he's like, just, just 10 more dollars, just 10 more dollars, you know, like that, I don't mm-hmm. think was ever me. It was more like, it was more like aimless, you know, like I'm just not doing anything with my life. I'm just working at a pizza shop. I'm just like, whatever, hanging out. I'm just, you know, just, just not really just like aimless and just like, you know, wasting life away and everything, you know, like it wasn't, Mm -hmm. you didn't have any attention. Yeah. Yeah. There was no, I mean, but like, I, I don't know. My intention was to, to not have an intention. (laughs) (laughs) My intention was to be aimless and to party and stuff, you know, it was like heavy partying and stuff. Uh 
you know, and, and like, I mean, like growing and like there were, there were different situations where I was with kids who were like doing that type uh-huh. of stuff. And I was just like, holy cow, you know, uh-huh. like shooting up in the bathroom, like all night. I'm like, oh crap, like what's he doing? You know? Yeah. And then, I mean, you mentioned obviously like, you know, if you can go back, you probably would have really tried to tackle that root cause that caused everything um, to go down this route. But after you lived in the Yemen house, and you know you live with them for a little bit things calm down when did the whole entrepreneurship and speaking journey start uh the entrepreneur so it's two different journeys okay uh the entrepreneurship journey started about 12 years ago or so okay. another israeli mentor of mine and this is a totally different guy he went through a lot a lot he's no longer with us he uh passed away from lung cancer for years, uh, a few number of years ago sorry to hear that yeah he was he was a nut you know like he he went in for surgery to take out part of his lung and he came out and had a cigarette you know mm-hmm. <laughs> a different era you know yeah he went through a lot also and and you know he saw me at at that at this point in my life and i'm working in a pizza shop i'm not doing much of anything with my life i'm i'm like working on trying to finish my associate's degree and and he's like you have this skill with graphic design you have this skill with marketing and everything like with websites go and do something like what are you working in a pizza shop for when you don't have to be like go and like start a business and he pushed and he pushed and he pushed and I said okay fine and I got a computer and I started a business and that launched me onto the entrepreneurship journey it wasn't until a few years ago that I was working through a with through things with a business coach because I shiny um you know I kept on opening up different things and so I I was working on a bunch of different things and I was not happy with the journey that I was taking. So I was mm-hmm. working with a coach and trying to figure out what to do to help it. And I, I don't know if it was quite on a whim or whatever, but he mentioned coaching, uh, not coaching. He mentioned speaking and I had just spoken to a group of juvenile delinquents. And this is like the first speech, real speech that I had given and everything. And so I was like, you know what, let me, maybe I should really give this a real go. And uh, that's the journey that I've been on ever since. then. that's about three years ago. I really connected with those with those kids in, the juvenile delinquent center, you know, like, uh, we, I, I told them my story. I, I connected with them with a marketing exercise to show them that there's other careers out there other than just police, police officer, prison guard, uh, drug dealer and, um, and teacher and stuff, you know, so I showed them there's other careers. And then we had done this marketing exercise and we had brainstormed a product altogether. And then I sat there and I did the graphics to show them a graphic representation of this product that we had developed together. And, you know, they were, they were just ecstatic and they, they couldn't, I, I think to a degree, they couldn't believe that, that I had sat there and spent the time, meaning I went in and I spoke to them and then I went, sat down afterwards and I did this work to give them this extra gift. And they, they were just, um, that's the words, powerful. That's really powerful work. The words of thanks that they were sending yeah. via their social guidance counselor, social worker, whatever she is, the, the one who had brought me in, um, were like very street, but like, they were very thankful, you know, like, ah, for real, you know, like whatever, you know, stuff like that. I was like, uh, I was like that, that I appreciated it, you know? So like from there, I was like, you know, if I could do this more often and help people more often and touch people emotionally in a way that helps them move past their own demons and helps them maybe not make the same mistakes that I did and helps them live a better life then you know, everything that I've been through is for sure without, without a doubt, it's worth it. And how do you how do you use what you've gone through in your life into your entrepreneurship journey 
And when you're coaching different business, uh, when you're talking to corporations or when you're speaking to different groups. So I, I mean, I have a number of different speeches and I've been through so much that it's hard to sit there and say, okay, here's my entire life story, you know, cause there's just many different aspects to it and many different lessons to learn. Uh, what I try to do is I try to use a few, you know, a couple of different eras to bring out different points, to bring out different nuances and then use those to show people to help people just because if I, if I walk in the door and I'd say, okay, here's everything. And here's the 10 different lessons that I learned or the 20 different lessons that I learned. You know, here's like all this information. Nobody's going to remember any of it. But if I sit down with them and I focus on only a few different things and only some parts of my story, right? I mean, I, I have plans to write down some type of autobiography where I go through all the different parts of the story. That's, but that's, that's the right, medium for that but in a speech that lasts an hour it's not the right medium to sit there and say okay here's about this and here's about this and here's about this and here's about you know it's too much information for people to do anything useful with so i try to sit there and focus it uh for instance um you know i have a speech that talks about jail and making the wrong decisions in the moment so that speech is very much focused on how incremental decisions can lead us to monumental decisions over the long period, right? I made a bunch of small bad decisions and it led me into a place like having to spend the night in jail. Mm -hmm. But on the same token, when I was pulling myself out of all of this, I made a bunch of small decisions and I improved my life and I made it better and I made it better and, and, and on and on and on. It was these small decisions, just slight decisions that shouldn't mean so much, but the incremental improvement can have a tremendous effect on our life. I mean, I was looking at some materials the other day and somebody said, you know, I, I had an epiphany moment and it was like that, boom, everything was different. I'm like, I don't believe it. We may from the outside see a, a lightning moment where they sit there and completely change their entire life around. But we're only seeing one part of it because they've been thinking about that for how long? And they've been sitting there making small little decisions that have been changing the way that they view things and change the way that they do things over a tremendous amount of time, there's no, you know, they say there's no such thing as an overnight success. Absolutely. Just what you think is an overnight success, but you're not being told about the 10 years, the five years, the 20 years that they were struggling, staying up late at night, figuring this out, trying this, it doesn't work, going back to the drawing table, trying this, it doesn't work, going back to the drawing table. We don't see that. We only see one day we wake up and they're like, oh, this guy's a success. Boom. Overnight success. Nah, mm -hmm. he, he did it. He did it incrementally. And so that's, so that's like one lesson that I, that I bring out from jail and stuff like that. And, you know, I've, I've stories like that all over the place. Like each different speech brings out different lessons and whatnot. It's, it's crazy how you say that because, you know, I've been teenage impact is less than a year old. Um, but I've been going through this for about five or six years. I have public speaking guide and I changed it to purpose creates impact. And I did have a one moment in the shower to say, you know what, I need to change something to do what I want to do versus me trying to please everyone. And that's how Teenage Impact came about. But those small incremental changes over time, those small actions over time, year in and year out, is what led to that one moment in time. Absolutely. And I mean, I don't know how big your platform is, but with a name like Teenage Impact and focusing on the teenagers and, and just uh -huh. you know, helping and being there and 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 giving and providing value and stuff, you know, I don't care where you're at in the journey, you're positioned, mm -hmm. I think, to, to just grow and grow and grow and to, to really make a big, deep impact on the world. 
and and help people throughout the country, throughout the world, you know, et cetera, depending on how, you know, there's so many ways for you to take that and to go do it, you know, via the podcast, maybe you go end up going speaking, maybe you don't, maybe you write a book, maybe you don't, whatever. I'm saying like there's, mm-hmm. there's numerous ways you can sit there and take the information. I think that was, you're writing the book, right? Yeah. You're using, okay, right, 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 right. You are writing a book, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm saying there's so many different ways you can use this information and these lessons and just, and just bring them out as, as, as nuanced data to help kids get through their teenage lives in, in, in better shape than a, lot of, than a lot of us got through our teenage lives. Yeah. And then Ari, do you have any last tips for anyone that is going through something in their life? Maybe their parents are getting divorced. Maybe they have a death of a loved one, some unfortunate circumstance that they're dealing with. And, you know, they're using either drugs, alcohol, misbehavior as a way of coping with it. But in reality, they're trying to deal with it on their own. I would like to answer that by telling a story. I believe it's attributed to King Solomon. I don't know for a fact. That's not important. There was once a king who put out a contest and said, I challenge my jeweler, uh, my jewelers to create the perfect piece of jewelry. And what I want this piece of jewelry to do is make it so that when I get way too happy, it brings me back down to a normal, even keeled place. And when I get way too sad, it brings me back up to a normal, more even keeled place. Right. Because in the deep highs and the deep lows, it's very, very hard to function normally. Uh, but, you know, when we can experience most of it, but still function normally, we're, we're, we're just so much better off. And that's, that's one of the reasons why teenage years are so hard is because the, the lows are so low because we're, there's so many hormones and the highs are so high because there's so many hormones. And, and uh, you know, sometimes people make decisions that last the rest of their lives and they don't have to. He put out this contest, you know, who could make this thing? And people were trying to rack their brains like, what in the world can we possibly make that will take the edge off the lows and take the edge off the highs? And finally, somebody gave him something and he looked at it and he said, this is it. This does it. This is the answer. And what was it? It was a ring that he could put on his finger. And all he had to do was look at it. And any time that he looked at it, if he was, if something had happened and he was incredibly ecstatic and way too high, like... And we're not talking like drug high, but like just way too happy and like, you know, too in the moment and just, you know, couldn't concentrate on anything else. He could look at the ring and it would bring him down just a couple notches so he could be a little bit more reasonable, a little bit more there. And when he would get too low, it would, he could look at it and it would bring him up a couple of notches so he could be where he needed to be to be able to function, to be able to take care of people and, and not get too stuck in the depression or whatever else was going on. And what kind of ring was it? It was a ring that said the simple words of this too shall pass. Wow. And so that's, that's just the thing to remember is that, and it's hard and it gets hard and it gets very hard. And like, there's no words to, to do justice to how hard it gets, but remember this too shall pass. That is, that's powerful. I'm, I'm actually going to use that in my own life. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good analogy because you know, we need the sad moments and we need the happy moments, but do not let it define you and take away from your days and take away from your life. That's well said. Yes. Do not let those moments, and that's what they are. They're moments. I'm uh-huh. saying in the moment, they feel like they're forever. And I know they do, right? I'm right there with you. I've been there multiple, multiple times, but 
in those moments, they don't define you. I don't care the worst thing that can happen to you and everything. It doesn't have to define you. Mm-hmm. You define you. That's it. Nothing else. Absolutely. And Ari, where, where can people find you? The quickest and easiest place to get to figure out the stuff that I'm working on is ariguns.com. That's A-R-I-G-U-N-Z.com. That takes people to places where they can figure out, you know, about the wilderness stuff that I do, the, the, the speaking, the podcast, whatever. It's all over there. Great. Thank you so much for being on this podcast. You're, uh, you're amazing. You know, you just came back from Israel what, a few, few weeks ago? Uh, yeah, about uh, three weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago, something like that. That's great. Um, and I really do appreciate everything you're doing. S- seen several of your videos and pretty inspirational stories. So I think this will be um, very valuable for a lot of people. I appreciate it. Thank you, Shlomo. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you're going through a traumatic experience in your life, whether it's the death of a loved one, whether you're being abused in your life, whether your parents are going through a divorce, whatever it is, you are going through something and you have to deal with that specific problem head on. If that means telling yourself the nasty truth that what you're doing is not right, then that means that you have to tell yourself, you have to face reality and you have to say enough is enough. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get over this uh, barrier. You might not get over it right away, but it will take a lot of years of trials and tribulations. But do not go through the wrong path like Ari did with the drugs. And you know, he was very fortunate to walk away with um, great experiences after what he did. Yes, he did go to jail. He didn't go to jail for long. Yes, um, he had bad things happen to him. But he's learning from those experiences and he met several mentors in his life that kind of steered him in the right direction. So don't give up. Please don't give up and keep on fighting another day because eventually it does get better as long as you listen to your gut instinct and know what is between right and what is wrong. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you haven't done so already, if you're tuning in for the first time, go ahead, rate and review the Teenage Impact Podcast on Apple and iTunes because I really want to be ranked higher. And the only way to be ranked higher is if you give this a five-star rating, give it a great review. I'm just trying to inspire as many people as possible. Thank you. And until next time, peace.